How's it going? <laughs> yeah, everyone okay? Feels extra subdued this morning. Yeah? So it's okay. We can laugh. What do you guys need me to do? I'll talk in a southern accent, whatever I need to do. All right, here we go. Y'all want to turn in your Bibles to... Um, <clears throat> yeah, come on down here, boy. Um, so I've met, if I've met you guys before, hello. My name's Tom again. Nice to see you again. I've known most of you guys for decades. Um, but if I haven't met you before, hello. My name's Tom, and I'm glad that we're here together this morning. And uh, uh, I also just want to give... Um, just a, a quick just testimony. You guys prayed for Jess and I a couple weeks ago as we were going to Colorado that we would get through the border okay. And we asked for two things. That we'd get through the border okay and that we'd meet a couple that we'd stay lifelong friends with. And both of those things happened. So praise God. He's faithful, even with the little things like that. I mean, we haven't lived our entire lives and we haven't future trip to know that this is going to happen. But we met a few people who we feel like that's a possibility with. So God is faithful in that. So Thank you guys for praying with us and for us, and thank you, Jesus, for being faithful. So, a little praise report. So today, guys, we are starting a new series called Prepare the Way. Um, shout out to Hannah, who made this graphic. My little daughter there did this. Um, so we are going to be in this series called Prepare the Way for the next five weeks, and we're going to be spending Advent thinking through this idea of how do we prepare our own hearts for the coming of Jesus in a greater way. For Jesus arriving on the scene every single day. For Jesus being formed and birthed and shaped in us, because that's really the point of discipleship, is we want to see Christ formed in each and every one of us, right? Man, okay. All right, amen. Yes, we, that's what we want to see. Um, and I love this time of year. Does anyone else like this time of year? Who's put up their lights yet? Who's getting a real tree? Who's getting a fake tree? You guys just want to leave. Go ahead and make your way. Get out of here. Three fake trees? Whew. Trinitarian <laughs> sin over here. Um, uh, so, I mean, Christmas is so fun. Who's listening to Christmas music yet? This is debatable. When do you start? All year? What? Okay. November 12th. Interesting. Why? Oh, never heard that in my entire life. Yeah, American Thanksgiving is how I like to think about it. But Okay. Interesting. We can talk about this after. I think my way is the right way. Um, but whatever. Uh, a real tree. Okay, real tree and after Thanksgiving. Oh, pre-lit tree. Oh. Ooh, no tree. We're getting deep here. Um, the point I'm trying to make, guys, is this time of year is fun. There's lots to look forward to. We think about visiting family and friends and eating good food and listening to Charlie Brown's Christmas album or whatever your favorite Christmas album might be. Um, but the thing is, this happens every year, and we can kind of become, it can, be, can become rote and blah, blah, blah. This is the thing we do, and Tom's going to talk about Advent and all this stuff. Um, but I really want to challenge us this morning to have an open heart to what God wants to do uh, every day. But I think it's like a fun time to practice. Like, hey, we do this every year. How can we stretch ourselves and be open to hearing another message about hope 
on the first week of Advent yet again. The thing is, God is real, God is alive, and he has something fresh for us every single day of our lives if we'll slow down and listen and make space, or we'll prepare the way for him to come and have his way in our lives. And so this Advent, we're going to be basically camped out in, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles, to Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses. We're going to hang out there, which is a genealogy. So who's excited already about hanging out in genealogy? But the reason we're, we're starting here is we're actually going to be spending the, the bulk of 2023 in the Gospel of Matthew. Okay? Do you all hear me that, just say that? The entire year. And so we're going to be in the first 10 chapters of Matthew throughout the entire year. So we're going to go verse by verse, line by line, through the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm really excited about this because over the last few years, guys, we've been talking about, okay, we want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to see an Allison as it is in heaven. We want to see God's kingdom come and His will be done. We want to keep Jesus as the center of everything that we're doing. And so we thought the best way to do that is let's dive into uh, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Let's dive into firsthand accounts of what life with Jesus actually looked like. And let's not rush through it. Let's get in it. Let's immerse ourselves in it. Let's let him challenge us. Let's read it and let that read us in the process. And so that's going to be a beautiful process. We're going to spend probably all of 2024 in chapters 11 through 28. So a couple years in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we want to take this next like five weeks to prepare the way to, to, for, let, for the story of Jesus to really take root in our lives, right? Most of us in this room have grown up in church. We've heard the gospel. We know the stuff, but has it really taken root in us? Are we remaining in, in the story of Jesus, in the love of Jesus? Are we devoting ourselves to his kingdom coming and his will being done in our lives? So from January to June, we'll be in chapters 2 to 7. We'll take a break for the summer. And then from September all the way to Advent next year, we'll be in chapters 8 through 10. And so chapters 2 through 7, we've got the Sermon on the Mountain there. Basically, it's the announcement of God's kingdom. And, and then 8 through 10 is Jesus actually displaying what the kingdom looks like. And then chapter 10 is this beautiful invitation where he invites us to participate in his mission again with him. So lots to look forward to, guys, there. But we really want to be intentional about spending the next five weeks kind of immersing ourselves in the backstory of this genealogy, who, who are some of these characters, and why is a genealogy good news? Yeah? Okay. Sorry, I'm just checking here. So what we're going to do, we're just going to read, we're actually going to watch a video. Isaiah, Theo, you guys on it? And uh, just, this is a great video, but this is basically, this captures our, the heart of what we're trying to talk about today. So let's watch this together. And then I'll, I'll talk to you again. You have to hit the play button. Abraham's Father, who fathered, who fathered, who fathered, 
shine for the Oh, 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful story that you uh, have been writing since before the foundation of the world was even laid. And so, Lord, we thank you that you, you came and you found us and you rescued us. And I just ask this morning, Lord, and into the next few weeks together as a community, would you help us understand um, who you really are, Jesus, what you've really done. I pray that, that as we read things like the genealogy in, in the coming years, we'd, we'd understand in deeper ways your heart for your people. Um, and Lord, even now, just come, come reveal yourself to us. And we thank you for even the gift of that song, Lord, and how it displays the, the crescendo that is Jesus. And um, that everything is leading and, and going there, that you are our only hope, Jesus. And so I just ask that the same thing would be echoed and harmonized together, together like this morning as we, as we talk. So come have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pretty beautiful, eh? Crazy that you can make a genealogy like into such a beautiful song. Some unpronounceable names they sing beautifully. So, uh, uh, so guys, why why is a genealogy good news? If you guys have your Bibles, let's read the first uh, verse of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter one. My version here says this: This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Let's pause right there. So we have to remember that this gospel, this good news, this story of Jesus is being originally shared with people who are Jewish. And so they would have known immediately, okay, the story, the Messiah, they know what that meant. They know, okay, he's a son of David and a son of Abraham. They would click in to the big story of scripture. And for a lot of us, maybe we can connect some of the dots. Okay, yeah, Abraham, yeah, he was like the father of Israel and David was a king and but I think for us, we're not as immersed in the story as, as, as Matthew's original hearers. So one, one uh, thing I was reading this week, they said this, to Matthew's original audience, this would have been the most exciting news of all time. That one sentence, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. They would have been like, what the heck? This is incredible. And so my prayer is that when we would read things like this, somehow this would become the greatest news we ever hear. And so that means we have to learn some stuff and unlearn some stuff, and we have to kind of process things and take time to do that. But this is what that first word there in, in that sentence, this is a record of the ancestors. In, in a few texts, the Greek word here is um, geneso, genesos, which sounds kind of like what? Genesos. Genesis. Yes, well done. Let's read here. So this, the Greek phrase is biblos genosios. And so what they're saying, why, why this is good news, is, is basically Matthew saying this. Hey, the coming of Jesus is a new genesis. It's a new beginning. And it's, it's a story of a new creation. Jesus, the Messiah, brings a new beginning for humanity. Okay? Let that sink in. Jesus, Messiah, brings a new beginning for humanity. This is good news for the original hearers. This is good news for us today. Jesus brings a new creation and a new beginning for humanity. What does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? Isaiah and Theo, I'm going to need your help again. We're going to watch another video, guys. I'm, I'm using some Bible Project stuff because they're so good. So we're going to go through just today, Jesus the Messiah, really quickly. And then we're going to spend next week thinking about Jesus as the son of Abraham. 
and Jesus, a king from the line of David the week after that. And then we're going to rejoice and celebrate Christmas Eve talking about Jesus himself coming. So let's watch this video about this whole idea of the Messiah. There's this crazy story. There's this crazy story at the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden. And everything in this garden is great. It's exactly as it should be, except that there's this one tree that they're told by God not to eat from because it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. Right. It seems pretty simple. But in this garden, there's a snake, and it starts telling a different story. It says that if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. And Adam and Eve, they believe the snake, and they eat the fruit. And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost, and evil and death enters into God's good world. Now, why is there a talking snake in the garden? I mean... This thing is a problem. Yeah, it's very strange. And even more strange is the fact that the Bible doesn't say why or how this thing even got there. It just presents the snake as this creature who's in rebellion against God and that wants to get other people to doubt God's goodness and lead them on a path towards death. And so whatever this snake is, it's the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives, even still today. But there is some hope, because right here in the story, God makes this really interesting promise and this guy's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source. However, during this battle, the serpent is going to fight the serpent. So it's like a mutual destruction. Yeah, it's just very strange. It's just like hanging there until the next key moment in the story. When God singles out this guy named Abraham, it says that through his family, goodness, blessing is going to be restored and as we follow this family, we get one of this guy named Judah. And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line, and that the whole world is going to follow this king, and he's going to bring peace and harmony, and there'll be lots of food and wine and milk, and it's going to be awesome. That we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David, and he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher. But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total chumps. They give in to the snake, they choose evil, they go after money and sex and power and following other gods. Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground. And Big Bad and Babylon just takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil, and that it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back, and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends, and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. 
And this is why when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises. Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David, Judah, and Abraham. And he goes around Israel announcing that the goodness of God's kingdom is here now. And he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them, by forgiving them of their sins and evil. Many people are now believing that this is, in fact, the promised king. But Jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself. The fatal snakebite wound. Exactly. And so it seems like the servant wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead. And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself. And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us to begin confronting the effects of evil in our lives. But even still, death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all, and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth. Hey, this is Tim. And this is John. We think one of the best ways to understand the Bible is to trace the key themes from the beginning. good guys thank you so this theme of jesus as the messiah is basically what matthew sets out to continually point to throughout his entire gospel so we're going to come back to this idea over the next couple of years countless amounts of times but just again this is an, the announcement this is the beginning of this of this um, good news uh, about jesus the messiah matthew goes on to say he's, he's a descendant of david and of abraham so i'm just going to quickly go over what that means and then we'll talk again in, over the next couple of weeks more in detail as a son of abraham this is um, matthew connecting jesus to the father of the people of israel abraham represented the moment where god chose one family through whom god would bless all the nations remember that genesis chapter 12. Uh, matthew is linking the reader to god's plan to rescue not just israel but the entire world so kind of zooming out a bit there like okay he's not just for us he's for the whole world jesus is the long-awaited son of abraham through whom blessing for the whole world will come more on that in two weeks time and then he goes on to say he is a king from the line of david so he draws attention back to the royal line of king david and he's abraham points back to jesus belonging to uh, the people of israel but david's name tells us that jesus was royalty that he's a king that we need to, like, oh, okay, we ought to think differently about this guy here. And this, he's tracing the line back to reveal Jesus as rightful successor. Different genealogies would focus on specific things. Matthew made it a point to, to trace the genealogy of Jesus back to David's line. So much so that you might see in your Bible, it might be separated in a specific way. Verse 17 talks about how there's 14 generations three times. And that is like numerology. Like he, he sent it up that way so that, like people reading that in the, in the original language would have been like, oh, this is actually a nod to the, the, the name David and the, the, the numeric value given to each Hebrew letter to spell out David. So Matthew was like nerding out, like, I want you guys to get the point here. This guy is from the line of David. So more on that in three weeks. So Jesus is the Messiah. He's one who's going to give us a new beginning. 
He is one from the, the people of Israel who's going to bless the entire world. And not only that, he is a king who needs to be respected and seen as such. And so I want to just draw our attention to one more thing this morning about this genealogy. And that um, if, if you were to take some time this week and read through it, maybe you have some biblical literacy. You kind of can see some of the names and know like, oh, man, they didn't really live the best life. It's interesting that he's included in Jesus's genealogy. Like if he's so good, like how does God use these broken, messed up people? And the answer is exactly yes. That's the point that God's trying to reveal to us that, yeah, he can use anyone in anything to fulfill his purposes. And no one is disqualified from his kingdom coming through their lives. So Matthew wants his readers to see that God uses all types of people to move his story forward. God is able to use whatever has happened to you, will happen to you, whatever you've done or has been done to you for his glory and our good. So God uses the rejects and the outsiders like me and like you and includes us in his family. Here's a quote to kind of summarize this idea. Look at the unique appearance of four women in the genealogy of Matthew, also a unique thing. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. All four are either non-Israelites or connected to non-Israelite families. Not only is it unconventional for Matthew to list these female names in an all-male genealogy, but these particular women are all associated with potential sex scandals. Matthew could have highlighted Jesus' connection to Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, the matriarchs of Israel, but instead he mentions Canaanites, prostitutes, and Moabite women who would be associated with Israel's sin and covenant failure. Matthew's up to something here. So in summary, guys, for this morning, and then I'm going to get to some heart stuff here, Jesus is the one who brings about a new beginning that we all long for, whether we know it or not. He's the one who will bring the blessing of Abraham to the whole world. He's the royal son of David who will rule justly and uniquely forever and ever. And that his kingdom includes even the rejects and outsiders like you and I. Good? All right. So this morning, um, how I want to land and how I want to kind of start off the whole Prepare the Way series is this invitation to surrender afresh to Jesus. Okay, so... um, One of the themes we're going to come across multiple times in Matthew is this whole theme of fulfillment, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God laid out throughout all scripture, throughout all eternity. And one of the things along with that that we're going to discover is that Jesus has no problem disappointing misguided and misdirected expectations. So he's all about fulfilling the promises of God, and he's equally all about blowing up our wrong ideas about who God is and how the world actually works. And for some of us, that could be jarring and difficult for all of us, that is. But I want to just give you that heads up that, like, that's the point here. As we are disciples of Jesus, that that's an ongoing thing. Like, every day I have to lay down my own idea of what right and wrong is and trust Jesus for his. And, it, and there's things I'm longing for, you're longing for. And then maybe we're looking for those things to be met in some way that that, that person or that idea or that thing will never be able to meet. And Jesus is graciously wanting to come and say, hey, listen, I want you to be disappointed in that thing. But I want to invite you to, to have that be fulfilled in me, actually. So it's like learning to, to discern along the way that how we have some misplaced expectations and how ultimately our, the fulfillment we're looking for is only found in Jesus. He has no problem disappointing misplaced expectations. So see, Jesus is about a renovation and a revolution and a reorientation of our hearts. And so this morning, I just thought it appropriate to kind of just take some time to prepare our hearts for his promises to be fulfilled, because that's what he wants to do. He wants to reveal himself to us as he really is, but we have to kind of be willing along the way to surrender to him, 
okay, I have some expectations, Jesus, that maybe are wrong, or maybe they're right, but I'm looking for them to be fulfilled in the wrong way. And how, how do I learn to let them be fulfilled in you and by you only? Does that make sense? Yeah? So I understand this is a painful and vulnerable thing. We all have hopes and dreams and desires, and those things aren't bad. But I think the point is just this, that Jesus is the, is the person, Jesus' kingdom is the place, Jesus' family is the community where those things are going to be fulfilled most beautifully and most fully. And so there's, there's a posture I'd like us to, uh, to take as a community as we go through not only this Advent season, but just all of our lives as disciples of Jesus, and that's a posture of surrender. And obviously, we're going to be at different places along that journey and along that road, but I want to every week kind of lay that out there like, hey guys, listen, we all have to a fresh, in, a, in a fresh way surrender again to King Jesus and trust that over time, you know, he's going to disappoint us. There's no way around that, but that ultimately that's for our good. But he's never going to let his promises remain unfulfilled in our lives. Is that tracking with anyone? My wife is saying yes, that's it. So that's okay. That's enough if it's just her. Um, but I just, I just feel like I want us to, to take, take the time to realize that, yeah, our heads are going to be engaged in this as we kind of go through line by line some scripture. But Jesus isn't just about our thinking being right. Like he's, he's after right thinking, but he's also after right living and our hearts being engaged in the right way. And so I'm just going to pray for us. And I want to, I, we're going to end this morning with taking communion. And um, I think just a few kind of invitations for, for us as we think about communion and think about the kind of reorienting our lives in a fresh way around the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. Um, Jesus wants to meet with you this morning. And that's true, always. But he wants to come into your story and he wants to offer you a new beginning. There's some of us this morning that are longing for a new beginning and we're looking for it in the wrong places. But the story of Jesus is, is one that will offer you a new beginning. Jesus came and he took our place. He took our sin upon himself and he made a way for us to live the life we've always longed for with, in communion with God. He dealt with everything that could separate us from him in, one, in a one, once for all offering of his own life for our lives. Jesus wants to meet with you this morning and he wants to save you from your sin, your own way of living, your own insistence that your way is the right way behaviors, thought processes, things like that that keep you alienated from God and from other people. God wants to save you from that. Jesus wants to meet, you with, meet with you this morning to restore blessing to you and through you. Maybe you've become stagnant and you've forgotten that like, oh yeah, God can use me in my, li- in my normal life. That he has a way for me to love my neighbors this Advent season that I didn't think about before. Jesus wants to meet with you this morning and become in a fresh way the king of your life. And I think it's worth reminding us all, Jesus wants to meet with you this morning regardless of the story of origin that you hold and inhabit. There's nothing you could do that would make God change his mind about you. He loves you. He wants you. He wants to live life with you. And he wants you to come further into his kingdom. So why don't we close, guys, just with with communion? I think we'll just end there. Is that good with you, Susie? Yeah. So um, why don't we... uh, let me move this out of the way. Why don't we, if you're, if you're comfortable, if you are following Jesus, you want to, again, declare that the story of Jesus is the one you want to live in, that he is your Savior, your Lord, we invite you to come on up and, and grab a piece of bread and, and dip it in the juice. And then maybe we can just go back to our seat, and then I'll just lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving and of grace. So come whenever you'd like.
Let's close our eyes. Let's just take a sec here. Jesus asked as we partake this morning that this would land differently than it has in the past for us, that you would reveal yourself to us even as we take this bread and juice together now. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> this is Paul saying, uh, I pass on to you what I received from, from Jesus himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. Let's take it together.
Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you that you invite us into a new beginning each and every day. May we step into that fully and completely together and as individuals and as families. And um, let your kingdom come, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.